Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Lord, we just thank you according to 2 Peter 3.18, today that we grow in grace and we grow in knowledge. I pray, Father, over this congregation, Colossians 4.12, that we stand more perfect and more complete in all of your will. And Father, I just thank you, uh, Proverbs 4.18, you said our future is brighter and brighter and brighter in you. And so we surrender to you today. Lord, we ask you to speak to us in the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. And if you agree, would you just say amen? Well, I'm halfway joking when I say this is the best sermon all year, because it really is, I believe, the best sermon that we're going to have all year. But I honestly believe these next four weeks are paramount for this year, uh, for the upcoming year. So you can go ahead and pull up our title slide. Today, we're talking to you about generation adjusters. I want to share a message the Lord began to stir in my heart a number of weeks ago. I kind of stumbled into this. I kind of backed into this. And for those of you who are new, this message is a little different. I don't have a lot of illustrations. I don't have a lot of stories. Frankly, I have like a hundred scriptures. I mean, probably at least. So today we're just going to kind of read the Bible. Is that okay? But I have to share with you, and I have struggled with this, George, between me and the Lord, because I want this message to be as life-changing in your heart as it is mine. I honestly believe I stand before you today, and the Lord is giving us marching orders. I honestly believe this will absolutely change the culture of our church. This will change the culture of my house. This will change the absolute culture of my life. I, my prayer has been, Lord, help me express this in a way to your people as you have put it so alive in my heart. So I want us to be mature this morning. Uh, I don't have, you know, two points in a poem and, and, and all kinds of funny stories. Today we're just going to we're going to open God's Word together, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us because this affects everybody in the room. Because reaching them tomorrow requires my life today. Would you say that little subtitle with me? Reaching them tomorrow requires my life today. Generation adjusters. Let's turn over to Psalm 78. If you've got your Bibles, dial up your phone. Psalm 78, I backed into this by accident because I wanted to send a thank you note to someone, and I was wanting an encouraging scripture to put in the thank you note. And uh, how many of you have seen the uh, comedian Tim Hawkins? Anybody know who Tim Hawkins is? He's very funny. His favorite verse was something like, trust in the Lord and, and do good, and he'll lead you. And he got the verse mixed up and backwards and was at an event signing things and signed like 100 cards. And when he went home, he, he said, what verse did I sign today? And he looked at it, and it says, I have a disease in my loins. <laughs> so how many know we need to be careful when we send someone an encouraging note and make sure that it's actually an encouraging scripture? Can I have an Amen. So I got on Google, and I just typed in encouraging scriptures, and I was just reading through, seeing what kind of clicked in my heart, seeing what kind of, well, Pastor James, when you send me a thank you card, and there's a scripture, it always speaks to me. How do you find it? I Google it. Praise God. <laughs> and then as I'm reading these scriptures, the Holy Spirit just says, yes, that's it. That's the one they need. And so uh, one of these verses in this passage came up on the search, and I put it in the car, and I thought, wow, that's incredible. I, I don't remember seeing that. Of course, I've read the Bible, but I don't remember that sticking out to me. And it, it just it began to unravel up the ball of yarn, began to peel back the onion that really just blew up in my heart 
for our calling. Matter of fact, I've, I've contemplated everything from, can you have eight verses of scripture as your mission statement as a church? I've said, you're supposed to have one little line is what they tell you and one little phrase. And I've even said, Tara, there's, I said, how can we even, could we name our church generation church, generation adjusters? And she's like, no, that's too long. And, and this has been so alive in my heart that, that I want to share it with you because I believe this is going to set the tone for this ministry, for my life, for your church, because we're called to adjust a generation. Amen? Let's read, and I'll tell it to you. Pastor Rick's glad we're not having eight verses for our vision statement and our mission statement. Let's read together. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. And this is a message to all generations. This was written to remind Israel of the judgments that they had faced and kind of how they could adjust their walk with God and avoid future judgments. Uh, It says in verse 2, I will open my mouth with a parable. And I will utter hidden things from old. Now, this is a prophecy here of Jesus. Obviously, he spoke in parables more than any other speaker, more than any other prophet. So Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Look at verse 3. Things we have heard and known. Would you say that with me? Things we have heard and known. Things our ancestors have told us. So a lot of the things we know about God came from our ancestors, came from those before us in the Lord. Pastor Calvin founded this church many years ago, uh, Mary's father, and he founded it on missions and, and had a heart for missions. When I first came, the budget wasn't very large, didn't have a lot of money came in, coming in, but we had a lot of money going out for missions for a church of the size that it was. And so we've continued that legacy. That's something we've heard of our ancestors. It's something they've shared and told us. Now, notice this here. It says they have told us the things in our heritage, the things in our walk with God, we need to share. We need to tell what God has done. Can you say amen to that? Now, look at verse 4. We will not hide them from their descendants. But notice this here. This came alive in my heart. This almost made me want to be a children's pastor. I'm telling you, a youth pastor all over again. We will tell them to the next generation. Would you say that with me? We will tell them to the next generation. As I began to read this, this blew up in my heart for a responsibility that I've never seen before, never realized before. We have to be walking with God in a way today where we can pass on the praiseworthy deeds of our Lord, His power and all the wonderful things that He has done. Look at verse 5. He's decreed statutes for Jacob. And establish the law in Israel, which has commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So he established it with Jacob, established it with Israel, and he commanded our ancestors to teach the children. Somebody say, teach the children. Now, this is not just for Jacob and Israel. You can put your name there. Romans 9.8 says, we are children of the promise, and therefore we are now considered children of Abraham. So Abraham now is our father. Let's go to verse 6 in Psalm 78. This is what I wrote on the thank you card. This is what came up on my search engine that just came alive in my heart, Josh, came alive in my spirit. This changed the way I pray. This changed the way I fast. This changed the way I prepare my messages. This changed the way that I parent my children. This changed the way that I'm a husband to my wife. This changed the way that I work at my job during the week. So the next generation would know them, the statutes given by God. Even the children, this is what struck me, Kelly, yet to be born. What we're doing today is not just affecting this generation, the millennials. We are affecting literally 
a generation not even born. And then they, the generation that is not even born now, that they would tell their children. The reason we have our scriptures today, this great book we call the Bible, is because they passed down the word of the Lord to the next generations. So I believe God is calling us as a church to change the lens through which we do everything. When we have 21 days of consecration, why are we doing that? Is it just so we are closer to God? Is it just so things line up for us? Those may be byproducts, but it's really, I'm establishing my life today so that I can tell the generation not yet born. I'm establishing my walk with God today so that they can tell their children and their children should the Lord tarry and not return. To reach this generation of tomorrow, it starts with my life today. It starts with consecrating my life today to reach the generation of tomorrow. Can you say amen to that? Look at verse 7. This is the mission. So that they would put their trust in God and they would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. How many know we live in a generation now, honestly, that is very close to forgetting the things of God? I'm amazed at the people that I meet who are older and on up in years who have have never been to church, never been exposed to religion, never been involved in Christianity. How many of you know who the comedian Michael Jr. is? Have you heard of the comedians? I like Christian comedians, if you can't tell. That's where I get a lot of my good material to practice on you guys. How many of you think I should let those Christian comedians continue to tell the jokes? Is that Well, I'm going to give you another one and prove to you that I'm called to be a pastor, not a Christian comedian. So Michael Jr. is a tremendous man of God, great Christian comedian, and he met Christ way late in life. And he never went to church, didn't own a Bible, didn't know anything about Jesus. Can you imagine growing up in America, being in your 20s, and not knowing anything about Jesus? He tells this true story. He said there is, he had no idea that Jesus died. He didn't know. So he got saved, met Jesus, started reading the Bible, and Matthew, Jesus died. He felt really bad for Jesus. And then he, he started reading Mark, and then he died again. And he felt really bad. And by Luke, he was like, come on, man, Jesus, you can escape. Come on. He thought he was dying every single time. Got to John, he's like, this guy's just, he's just dead. There's no hope for him. He's gonna... So his story is that he came to Christ so late in life. We, we have a generation right now, it is so amazing. There are people that you know, there are people your children know who didn't grow up with the heritage that that I grew up with. Everybody went to church when I was a kid growing up, and then we're just a couple of decades removed from everybody at least knowing about Jesus. You can take him or you can leave him, but at least you knew about him. Unreached people groups were in another country. We're in underground China or in Vietnam. or Those are the people that didn't know about Jesus, but in America, everybody knows about Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not the case anymore. Can you say amen on the college campus that you meet people all the time who have never experienced the love of God? It's a different generation. So somewhere down the line, the church became so focused on me and my blessing and me and my welfare that we forgot that the the real calling in our life is not just for us and my life, but it's for the next generation. It's for the future generation. It's for the generation not yet born. My walk with God today affects my unborn child that my wife is carrying. My walk with God affects the next generation. And if I lead my family well, and the Lord doesn't return back for His church, then my unborn baby will tell their children the goodness and the deeds and the power of God. But it starts with me today. So I want to give you a few things this morning that will help us. Look at verse 8. Let's read one more verse. 
So this generation would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts are not loyal to God, whose spirits are not faithful to Him. So our calling, our job as a Christian today is to invest in a generation, raise up a generation whose hearts will be loyal to God, whose spirits will be faithful to Him. That is our purpose, ladies and gentlemen. So let me give you real quick this morning. Go ahead and pull them up, Bethany. I want to give you four gems to generation adjusters. Four gems to being a generation adjuster. Hand me no, Jim can give you some gems. Amen? We're going to get... That was good. Come on. Oh, the tough crowd this morning, Kaylee. Four gems to being a generation adjuster. I'm going to give you all four, but aren't you glad we're only going to talk about one today? But we're going to give you all four over the next four weeks. This is why you do not want to miss a service the next four weeks. Because we're going to talk to you about give yourself wholly to God. That's what we're going to talk about today as we launch these 21 days of consecration. Then next week we're going to talk about getting closer. I'm sorry, going back. Next week we're going to talk about getting closer. Um, Can you go back one screen? Thank you. Next week we're going to talk about getting closer to God through prayer and fasting. We're going to walk you through that whole process, teach pretty much... Uh, in-depth on that as much as we can in one session. Then we're going to talk about giving and being extravagantly generous. If we're going to reach the next generation, it costs money. Can I have an amen? If That wasn't big. That wasn't very big. <laughs> Come on, extravagant givers. If we're going to reach the next generation, it's going to cost a little money. Can I have a little bigger amen? And then you've got to go where he sends you. When God calls you and leads you, you have to go. It may not be to be a missionary to the UT campus. It may not be to be a missionary to Guatemala. But God has a calling for you. He has a plan for you. So you have to obey. You have to hear what the Lord says. So I just wanted to give you all four. Give yourself wholly to God. Get closer to God through prayer and fasting, which is going to be a tremendous teaching next week. Then we're going to talk about how the generosity overflows to reach the next generation. And then we're going to talk about being obedient and going where God sends us. So what does it look like? The, the first one here, give yourself wholly to God. What does it look like for a person to be wholly devoted to the Lord? Can you think in your mind right now of someone you know who is completely dedicated to God? Dwight Moody, who is a great evangelist in the 20th century, said, The world has not yet seen what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. Of course, he quoted that statement. He made it famous. It didn't originate with him, but he made that famous. What could God do with a human who is fully consecrated and given to him? The world hasn't seen very many people wholly given to the Lord. So we're talking about this word consecration. How many of you, when we started advertising that, you asked yourself, what in the world does consecration mean? Is that one of those things? Is that, one, is that what happens when you mix part water and part sugar? And is, it, is that what this is? So it's, it's an ancient Old Testament word, and it, it just means this. It means to separate unto God. To consecrate means to separate unto God. Would you say that with me? To separate unto God. It means intensely dedicated. Now, I asked the Lord for an example, and, and I thought of a few things that could help us understand, but this is one example we could all understand. How many of you have seen cemeteries, and you drive by, and, and there are special zonings to cemeteries? How many know cemeteries have a very uh, set purpose? They have a very consecrated purpose. That land could be used for anything. That land could be used to build subdivisions. That land could be used to build public parks. That land could be used for swimming pools. That land could be used for hotels and restaurants. But when it is zoned and dedicated and consecrated, the only thing that that land can be housed for is to be a barrier place for those who have deceased. It has a consecrated, intense purpose. That's the way it is with our life in God. God wants us to have a dedicated, set-apart, 
purpose. Now let's look at Romans 1.1. The scriptures give us some insight here about being consecrated to the Lord. Paul was a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was called an apostle. Notice this here. So he was a servant of Christ. Then he was walking in his calling. But not only was he called, but he was set apart for the gospel. Say those words with me, starting with set apart. Ready? Read. Set apart for the gospel. Another translation says separated under the gospel. So Paul had a choice. He had a calling. He had a mission. He was a servant of God. He was a slave of Christ. But there was something that he had to do. Notice God called, but Paul had to walk in a separation. He was set apart for the gospel. He was consecrated just to the work of the Lord. Now look at 2 Timothy 2.21. I want you to see this. This is another powerful scripture. Now this is in the Amplified, so it's a little bit wordy, but I just want to read it and, and you'll understand. So whoever cleanses himself from what is evil and unclean, who separates himself. Notice that consecration is not God doing the separation. God has separated you in your spirit. He's made you holy in your spirit. But now it is up to me in my walk with God to set myself apart, to separate myself, to consecrate my life unto the Lord. Notice this. This is New Testament. This is not Old Testament. This is New Testament. Whoever separates himself from contact with contaminating and corrupting influences will be a vessel set apart. Somebody say set apart. And useful. Somebody say useful. How many of you would like to be useful to the Lord? Look at the next part of this next passage in uh, part B. They will be useful for honorable and noble purposes, consecrated and profitable to the master. You can be a Christian and love God, and you can have your ticket to heaven stamped, and you can be on your way to glory, and you can be of no good to the Lord on this earth. Churches today are filled with people who are good people, who are Christians, but they are not making a difference for the Lord. They're not useful to the Master. They're not walking in His purpose. They're not profitable. They're not fit and ready for any good work. What's the difference? How many of you say, I would like to be fit and ready for any good work of the Lord. I would like to be profitable to the master. Notice here, they're consecrated. They're set apart. Your level of usefulness is directly connected to your level of consecration. Now, I'm not talking about working for God's grace, trying to earn God's favor. John 7 says there's a river on the inside. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a river on the inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit. You have a river on the inside of you. Some of us have a tiny little hole right here, and occasionally a little squirt of water shoots out. Just occasionally. If you catch us on a Sunday when the preacher preached good and the message was good and the worship was good, we have a little bit of Jesus that just... And when I consecrate my... Did y'all like that? Did you like that? How many can tell I got kids? You're like, maybe you should be a kid's pastor. <laughs> Let's let Pastor Rick preach. We want a real preacher up here today. When I consecrate myself to God, the Lord takes my heart and He opens the hole, and now He has a little, little bigger hole to flow through. These next 21 days, when I set myself apart, what I'm doing is I'm opening the hole for God to flow through. I'm not getting more of God. I have the river of God on the inside of me, but it's on the inside of me. And God is not going to just 
rip in and just take the big hole saw and just and just make a big hole. I, I do that. Setting apart is myself. God puts the anointing on the inside of me. First John 2, 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And through prayer and fasting and all these other things we're going to talk about, what I'm doing, David, is I'm opening the hole for God to flow through. As a church, we have a collective hole that the river of God can flow through. Right now, it's a certain level. Every time we dedicate as a body to prayer and fasting and giving ourselves wholly to the Lord, the hole gets a little bit bigger. The anointing of God can flow a little bit stronger. And that's something that I have. I want to say this to you kindly, but I want you to know this. You can have all of God that you desire. You can have all of the Lord that you desire. So I want us to see praying and fasting and consecrating our life in a little different light. How many of you have ever heard... Someone teach on prayer and fasting and consecration, giving yourself to God in light of the next generation. Look around. Our job is that the generation not yet born would know Him. So I'm praying and fasting and consecrating my life, not just for me and my blessings and how I feel. Paul had very little blessings But he had a tremendous hole for God to flow through. Paul had a lot of struggles and a lot of trials. And most Christians wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go through what Paul went through. But Paul realized, I'm set apart for the gospel. TBN, praise God for Christian TV. But Christian TV will tell you, you're set apart so you can be blessed. You're set apart so you can have a new car. You're set apart so you can have joy. You can have health and all those things. We need all those things. I'm not demeaning what fasting does in you, but I want you to view it in a little different light. It's not just for me. It's for my unborn baby. It's for my grandkids. I went downstairs a minute ago, and and our kids were down there, and they were having fun and all that. And I thought, these people are going to be adults one day. These people are going to breed and have kids one day. What are we doing? (laughs) They're going to vote one day, praise God. What are we doing? So I'm not like denying myself food just so I feel better. I'm not pushing to get closer to God just so I have more goosebumps when I worship and cry more. I cry enough. My kids would say, man, that always gives me a hard time for crying. I tell them, kids, if I, if I stop crying, you're in trouble because my heart's hard. I don't want a hard heart. I want to be a generation adjuster. And it starts with giving myself wholly to the Lord. The more I pursue God, you'll see this on the screen, the more I pursue God, the more I pursue our Heavenly Father, the more I receive of Him. God does not take our life, we give it. Just like Jesus, he laid down his life for us. James 4, 7, humble yourself, resist the devil, he'll flee. James 4, 8, come close to God, and God will come close to you. John Piper says this, I just looking through this, he had an article on this, and not endorsing him or not, but this was a good article that he had about giving yourself to the Lord. It says, when I say I give myself to the Lord, I'm saying I know, I'm no longer my owner. I'm no longer my master. I'm not my shepherd. You, God, are my owner. You're my master. You're my shepherd. Father, you're my treasure, my wisdom, my hope, and my source of lasting pleasure. I renounce all finding of all that is in with me, and I look now to you. I'm utterly yours. That's what it means to give yourself wholly to the Lord. See, you'll see this is this phrase on the next screen. This requires less of me and more of Jesus. 
The goal is to get less of me operating and more of Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Familiar passage. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you want to be my follower, he must give up his own way, take up his cross, and follow me. Paul goes on to tell us in Romans chapter 12 that this is actually how we worship God. We think worship is what we do on Sundays. Thank God for that. That's a time of praise, and we call it praise and worship. But worship is really the total consecration of my life to God. Look with me at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. He's pleading with you to give up your bodies to God. Meaning, dear brothers and sisters, these are Christians. This is the church. These are the people of God. But yet they didn't have a very big hole for God to flow through. These were believers. He's not saying, I'm pleading with you to get saved. He says, brothers and sisters, you've not yet given yourself wholly to the Father. You're doing some good things, but you've not consecrated your life in a way that is yet pleasing to the Lord. Notice he says, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and consecrated, holy separated, uncommon sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way that you worship Him. I appreciate our worship team. I love what they do. I have a blast playing with those guys. But that 30-minute snippet on Sunday, that is not my most acceptable time of worship to the Lord. When I consecrate myself, give myself wholly to God on Monday and on Tuesday... And, and when there's challenges in my life and I continue to press in and love God, that's when my worship really becomes acceptable to the Lord. And let me, can I give you a secret? How many of you like awesome, powerful, explosive times of worship on Sundays or Wednesdays? Man, I do. You know what makes that happen? When you're giving yourself to God on Tuesday. When you're giving yourself to God on Friday. How many know Christianity is not just a Sunday morning thing? It's a daily walk with God. And so the, the last few minutes I want to spend today is, is we want to give ourselves wholly to the Lord. We want to consecrate ourselves. But I believe I have a key that I want to share with you. And many of you know this, but it's, it's so important. If we're going to really give ourselves to the Lord, it starts with being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the bottom line. As I look over our congregation, as I look in our nation, as I look at the thing that is going to keep my kids on track, they need the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life. They don't need another good sermon. They don't need another good program. They need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. Thank God for good programs. Thank God for fellowship things. But when I look at my life, and I, I, I met Christ as my Savior at five years old, and I understood and knew what I wanted to do. At seven years old, I received the, the infilling. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so for 20-something plus whatever years now, however old I am or whatever, I'm almost, well, let's see, I won't even do the math. We'll let you guess. But I've been practicing this practice of being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And I went through times where I walked away from the Lord as a kid. I wasn't very serious about it. And then as a teenager, praise God, God got a hold of me. And at 15 years old, I said, man, I want to give my whole life to the Lord. And never looked back. And I've been looking and analyzing what kept me on the right path, what helped me more than anything, and it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's just take a little journey through Scripture. I just want to read them real fast. We're just going to look at some Scriptures. And I want to make a case for you that the Christian should continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody okay on time? 
even if you're not, I don't care because I put a lot of work into this and we're going to do this. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants to do. Don't be drunk with wine, but because that will ruin your life. But instead, so understand what the Lord wants to do. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is Bible Quiz 101. Who was Ephesians written to? This book, who did Paul write it to? The church at Ephesus. So he's writing to the church to don't be drunk with wine. How many of you know that don't, means don't complain a lot? Can I have an amen? Don't, <laughs> don't be filled with much wine. Don't be complaining a lot. That was another good joke. Come on, everybody. Lighten up. But he's saying instead, he's writing to the church. He said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead of giving yourself over to worldly things, worldly habits, worldly desires, spend your time being filled with the Spirit. But they're part of the church. They have the Holy Spirit. Yes, but there's a continual filling. That in the Greek tense means continually be filled over and over and over and over again. Look at Matthew chapter 3. All four Gospels talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. All four Gospels. Let me just hit this very fast and move on. John said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who's greater than I. So much greater, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Say that last phrase. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We will not look at it, Bethany. We will not turn there. But you can write it down, Mark chapter 1, 7 and 8, Luke chapter 3, 16, uh, John 1, 33. All these in the Gospels say this same thing, that Jesus is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and He will baptize you with fire. After the resurrection of Jesus, Luke 24, 49. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. He's getting to ascend, getting ready to ascend back to heaven. So they're looking on the resurrected Lord Jesus. They believe in Him. Notice this scripture. It says this. Jesus said, Now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. Somebody say, The Father promised. He said, But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes, and notice this, fills you with power from heaven. These were disciples who believed in Jesus. Not only that, they now believed in the resurrected Lord Jesus. John 20, they were born again. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was on the inside of them, but yet they still needed another feeling. They still needed another dose of power. They still needed another level of God working in their life. It wasn't that they're going to now get more of God. God Jesus says there's coming a time when God's going to get more of you. God's going to get more of you. Notice with me in Acts chapter 1, same type setting. Jesus was eating with them, and he commanded, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. John baptized with water, but just in a few days, you will be baptized, submersed in the Holy Spirit. I looked up that word baptized, and it means to submerge or overwhelm. To submerge or overwhelm. When we get born again, God puts His Holy Spirit in our life. It's a deposit of the good things to come is what Scripture teaches. But there's another level of my life that I can give to God. There's another level of surrender. We see it in Acts chapter 2. So they're born again. They're Christians. They love Jesus. They believe in the resurrected Lord. And something powerful happens in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, Jesus has now gone to heaven. They've been waiting in Jerusalem for the promise that the Father said. Notice the Bible says they were in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent wind. 
And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. In verse 3, there appeared tongues as of fire distributing themselves. I know it's confusing. I don't even understand all that. But it says it rested on each one of them. Now look at verse 4. This is what I want you to focus on. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Something happens. There was a shift. They gave themselves for 10 days. They were praying, fasting, seeking God. They were giving themselves wholly to the Lord. And it put them in position to receive power from heaven. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's weird. I don't want any of that. Then you won't be bothered with it. It's not weird when it's God. I've seen a lot of things in church that's been weird because it's not been God. But when it's God, it's not weird. But I'm telling you what, anything that's God and it's general, man, I want it. And I'm telling you, the, anything that is God is, is, is on my radar and I pursue it and I want it. Look at Acts 4.8. Can we read a few more? We're going to anyway. Amen. Acts 4.8. I was up really late finishing some of these, adding some of these. So we're getting every one of them in, praise God. Look at this. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice it's Peter. Say it with me. Ready? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. But Peter was in Acts chapter 2. Peter was there because he stood up and began to talk. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Here he is again. Peter, he was leaking. He was a leaky Christian. He'd been given out. Now, Crystal, he's filled with the Holy Spirit again. It's an ongoing process. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 30. Now we see all the other disciples who were there. Check this out. It says, God, would you extend your hand to heal? Would you let signs and wonders take place through the name of your servant Jesus? Verse 31, when they prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a bunch of the people that were in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room. This is a lot of the same disciples and followers of Christ. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They needed filling again. The danger is for you to have an encounter with God and then you to let that fuel you and lead you and not understand we need to be continually refilled. Acts 6.3 Brethren, choose men full of the Spirit. Acts 6.8 Stephen was full of grace and power. Remember, you receive power from being filled with the Holy Spirit. He was performing signs and wonders among the people. Acts 7, 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Do you see a pattern that the New Testament church realized the only way they were going to affect a generation was to be full of the Holy Spirit? The only way they were going to adjust a generation was to be full of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8 and 14. The apostles heard that Jerusalem had heard in Jerusalem that Samaria had received the word of God. Somebody say they received the word. word. And notice this here. So they're born again. So they sent Peter and John. In verse 15, Peter and John came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, that they might be filled, submerged, immersed in, that God would take more of them and put more of himself in them. They received the word with gladness. There is great joy in the city because... Verse 16, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. How many know you're not baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus unless you're saved? In this day and time, it meant death. When you were baptized, that was your public statement to say, I'm a follower of the way. 
And it meant persecution. It meant death. It meant you couldn't get gainful employment. It was not just a popular fad thing to do and get a t-shirt that says, I got baptized. It was not the fun, popular thing to do, Pastor Rick. For the Holy Spirit had not yet filled any of them, fallen upon any of them. They had just been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice verse 17. So they began laying their hands on them. The apostles laid hands on people to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You don't always have to have hands laid on you, but it's a way that God used it in this method. I don't want somebody laying hands on me, praying for me. If it helps me get get, uh, more of God in my life, then let me have it. Amen? They'd be laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul is born again. When the light shines from heaven, he falls down and says, Lord, Lord. And he's blind for three days. Remember, the Apostle Paul was a great persecutor of the church. Remember, he was the Christian killer. Look what happened to him in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Acts chapter 9 and verse 17 says this. So Ananias departed and entered the house where where Saul is. This is Paul. After laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. means he's born again. You don't call someone brother in this environment if they're not a brother, if they're not a sister. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and, say it with me, ready? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't enough just for Paul to have the light shining and his eyes opened. He needed to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He needed to be submerged in the power of God for the walk ahead of him. Paul would have never adjusted his generation if he was not filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, Acts 11, read it, it's there, Acts 13, 9. So Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 9. If you agree, would you wave at me? Look at it again. But, but Saul, who was known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, he was filled with the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 9. He needed it again. It's a continual need to adjust this generation. Well, but that ain't what my pastor said growing up. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to demean what your pastor said growing up. But I'm going to take what the Bible says. And I'm going to be a generation adjuster. And I'm going to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day of my life. Because I need God to have a bigger hole to flow through. Which is why we're going to consecrate ourselves. Last passage. Acts 19, 1 through 6. So it happened when Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, this is Paul, had passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus. He found disciples. Say disciple. Look at verse 2. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This was normal for the early church. It was normal to push them in the direction of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So he wondered, hey, did you all receive the gift, the promise of the Father? Look what they said. No, we've we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. All we've heard about is repentance and baptism. We didn't even know about the power from on high. We didn't even know we could be a generation adjuster. We didn't know we could be just an average disciple. We didn't know we could be transformed into a powerhouse for the kingdom of God. We hadn't even heard about this. Notice this here. And they said, well, what were you baptized then in verse 3? Well, into John's baptism of repentance. And look in verse 4. John baptized with repentance, telling people how to believe in Jesus who would come after him. Verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
So they got out of John's group, and now they got into the group of Jesus. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now look at verse 6. Paul, here it is again, laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. The Holy Spirit came on them after they were believed in Jesus and were baptized. Meaning, just getting saved is not the end of the road. It's just the beginning. Getting saved is just the start. Pastor Rick, I've heard it said, getting saved prepares you for heaven. Being filled with the Holy Spirit prepares you for earth. Notice this here. They begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Well, I don't want to speak in tongues and prophesy. Don't let a spiritual gift keep you from being full of the Holy Spirit. Don't let a spiritual gift of of something that you've seen or something you've been afraid of keep you from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we need it if we're going to adjust this generation. Amen? Go back, Bethany, last scripture, Psalm 78, 6, and we're going to pray. Joseph, could you move this for me? Go back to that very beginning passage, Psalm 78, 6, from our very text. This is what I want you to see here, okay? This is why we need, verse 6, this is why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why we're praying and fasting for 21 days. This is why we do what we do. So that the next generation would know them. Even the children not yet born. And that they would tell their children. Amen. We don't want to change the atmosphere. But just want to help you with some practical things. How many of you felt like the Lord touched you today? Man, I I do. My heart is for you to know God in such a powerful way. My heart is for my kids to know the power of the Holy Spirit. And you guys are my kids, even though some of you are double my age. Tito. I do. I love you. You're my, we're my children of the faith. And, and uh, my heart is for you just to know God, know His power, know His Spirit. So here's how we can help together. And I'm not, I'm not telling you, like, this is what you have to do. I'm telling you what I'm doing uh, over 21 days. And maybe you'll pick up on something. Because next week we're going to launch into fasting and why and how and is it important, what does it do. And So you're going to be on your own for a week because I'm not teaching on it for a week. But you can find some good material. Did y'all get the email that, uh, yesterday or this morning that we sent? Some very good resources if you want to fast. Obviously medically, check all that out. Make sure that it's good for you. And like, how many know my wife doesn't need to be fasting food? Amen. Yeah. God's not going to call her to fast food right now because that would be dangerous to her and the baby. So you got to be smart. you got to use wisdom. She's going to be fasting other things. and, and, and that. So number one, everybody say number one. number one. Commit to reading the Bible every single day for at least 21 days. But honestly, we want to do the 90-day. Jared, can you and Tom pass out those 90-day sheets? Um, yeah, Pastor Michael. We've got a 90-day Bible reading plan. Jo- uh, Joseph, would you come for a second and just share what happened to you last year when you did the, the Bible reading on the spot. But this was really, what a testimony. Um, hmm, not really sure what you want me to say. Well, when you went through, let me just tell us. Yeah, no, it, when, no, no. When you went through the, the Bible reading strategically, yeah, so, church, what God did in your heart, you shared a lot. Of just, yeah, um, well, just... Just make it up. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, James, we've done this before. We've done this Bible reading plan before. And... Uh, I've read the Bible, um, but it wasn't ever really, you know, I didn't have a regimen to it. There wasn't, it was just, oh, I probably should do that today. Um, but reading the Bible the last time, and even this time, I've, I've started again, um, getting to know the man who Jesus is in a, 
and more than just a passing, and you actually sit down and you get to know him, um, your life just changes. Yeah. And so this, it, whenever I committed my life to do this, it was amazing the return that I saw back. Not only in, you know, worldly things, but I carried peace with me. And I, I, I personally was able to help people. Um, where I went, peace went with me. And I encourage you because I had Jesus in me. I had more and more of Jesus because I was spending more and more time in his word. And so I just encourage you that this, if you want your life to change, this is a way to do it. Yeah, amen. Yeah. That's exactly amen. Let's encourage truth. I saw him grow leaps and bounds. Uh, we did the New Testament in 60 days. This is a little easier. It's very easy, honestly. And so if you miss a day, get back up. Get back on the horse. Get back on the wagon. Uh, don't stop. Okay, number two. Everybody say number two. Is commit. Right now, make a commitment to be here for the next three Wednesdays and the next three Sundays. If you can do it. And I know many of you work. I know Wednesdays are very hard Tough times, I understand. Listen, I work on Wednesdays. I come home and rush my family through dinner, and I get here. I understand. I get it, but I do it. I do it for you. I do it for my family. I do it for my walk with God. So if you can, over the next 21 days, commit to being here on Wednesdays. This Wednesday, we're starting a brand-new series called Prayer That Changes Things, and it is powerful. And I understand work. Some of you can't. Be here every Sunday for the next three Sundays. We'll finish this message that God has given us about generation adjusters. Number three, everybody say number three, number three, is fasting. We want to encourage you to fast. There's the Daniel fast. It's 21 days of no meats and no sweets. Just eat vegetables. Some of you will just fast water. I mean, just fast food and, and just only drink water and juices. A few days of the week, I'm going to be doing a, a water-only fast. The rest of the time during the week, I'll be doing the Daniel fast. No meats and no sweets. And my family's doing things. Kids are fasting Media devices. Let me tell you something I'm fasting. I'm fasting sports talk. I love sports talk. I love talk radio. So I drive to work every day and I listen to sports talk. So what I'm going to do is for 21 days, I'm not going to listen to sports talk. I'm going to put on a podcast, a sermon, something. I'm going to feed my spirit. I'm going to turn the phone off. I'm not going to take any calls. When I drive to work, 30-minute drive, I'm going to invest in my spirit. And on the way home, I'm going to do the same thing. That's me. That's just something I'm going to do. At home, instead of sitting there with the TV on in the background, we're going to have worship music playing in the background. Because you're not watching the TV anyway. It's just noise. It's just on. So I'm going to put on some YouTube video. Now, if you don't know what to listen to, Tell me, I've got some great preachers I follow. Uh, you could check out my podcast. Could I have an amen? It's not going to hurt you. Uh, but I got some great pastors you could follow. Um, but now, again, medically, check it out with your doctor if you're going to fast. I would honestly encourage everybody that can to fast some kind of food because you don't really fight hunger pain so much. You fight habit. And we're going to talk about that next week. But it, 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 is, it is very powerful, a number of levels, even physically, just naturally, what it does to your body. I fast. I'm not telling you this. Where the scripture says, don't, you know, let people know you're fasting. All that. I just want you to know we grow together. I fast typically most weeks, one day a week, uh, just on a regular basis. And the Lord's dealt with me on that. And so I'm conditioning myself. So I'm going to do longer. I'm going to push myself this, this time and really try to dedicate my... Now, I'm not fasting to get God to do something in my life because God is... The river's already there. Remember, God's already done what he's wanting to do. In the, we're blessed in Ephesians 1 with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Fasting aligns me to find out what God wants to do. And so that's, you know, I want to encourage you. We're going to talk about that next week. A media fast, Facebook. I thought I'd get a little more groans out of there. If you spend hours on Facebook, cut it in half and spend 
30 minutes on the, in the Word. Amen. Uh, now, this is something we're going to do. Pastor Michael is going to help me set this up. I don't know how it's going to work yet, but we're going to figure it out and email you. So everybody pay attention to your email in the next two days. On Tuesday nights, everybody say Tuesday nights. And we'll tell you the time. It's either going to be 7 p.m. or 7.15 p.m. We're going to do a church-wide conference call for a prayer session. You're going to dial in a number on your cell phone, be there with your family. You're going to put it on mute so we don't hear your kids screaming in the background. Can I have an amen? Okay, my kids are going to be in another room. They're going to be in the basement while I'm upstairs. Tara will have it in the basement on mute. And I'm, but one of us, one of our staff, we're going to lead about a 10-minute prayer time as a corporate. Instead of saying, hey, whole church, come and show up here on a Tuesday night and impede more of our busy life, we're going to use technology for the gospel. Amen? So starting this Tuesday, we're going to do a conference call, and we'll email you the time. It'll be 7, 7, 15, somewhere in that neighborhood. You'll call in, and we'll have certain prayer times. And you don't have to pray. We're not going to put you on the line. We're not going to be, hey, let me buzz in Angie. Okay, Angie, your time to pray. Won't be any of that. You're going to be on mute. The staff will be praying. We'll advance people in advance that will be praying. And for about 10 minutes, we're just going to pray together as a family. Having a faith does not know a geographical location. And then on Friday mornings, uh, I may be the only one. I don't know. I don't know what your schedule is. But from 7 to 8 a.m., I'm going to be here every Friday morning praying, opening the facility just to pray. If it's convenient for you to swing by on your way to work, wherever that is, if you work way out west and live out west, it might not be. I understand. You may not can do it. But if you can get here on Friday mornings for the next three weeks, I'm going to be here at 7 a.m. It'll be open from 7 to 8. You can pop in for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You can stay for an hour, whatever. But we want to open that up to you. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to be here. I want everybody to come that can. But I understand it may just be me and Jesus. And how many know that's still okay with me? Man, I love my time with me and Jesus. But I want you to come. It's going to be open. So that's some ways that can help you in these next 21 days. Amen? Amen. Any questions? Amen. We sure love you guys. All right. God is good.